Welcome to Pathways, a podcast by Grenadian STEAM. Here, we dive into the journey of Grenadians and West Indian professionals navigating their careers in the STEAM fields, both at home and in the diaspora. We discuss their failures, their successes, and their moments of learning with the goal of exposing interested listeners to the depth and wonder that is a career in STEAM. I'm your host and president of Grensteam, Arlene Hayes. Join us. Press that subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss a new episode. Twenty-three-year-old Kiana Bubb grew up in Archibald Avenue, St. George, Grenada, as the first of two aviation enthusiasts in her household. She attended the St. Joseph's Convent, St. George's, then went on to the T.A. Marischal Community College, where she graduated with an associate's degree in geography and mathematics. Three months after graduating, she started working at the Morris Bishop International Airport as an Aeronautical Information Services Officer. Kiana was then given the opportunity to pursue the challenge of a diploma in Aerodrome and Approach Control, and in March of 2019, she graduated successfully from the Civil Aviation Training Center in Trinidad and Tobago. Since then, she's been working as a Certified Air Traffic Controller in Grenada. Recently, Kiana has added the title of author to her list of roles. In late 2020, she wrote a children's storybook on women in aviation, self-publishing in February of 2021. Kiana's passion and drive for aviation and for highlighting women in the field led her to write this book, encouraging more young women to pursue the career. Her long-term aspiration is to become a pilot. I hope you enjoyed today's chat, and if you do, be sure to head over to Apple Podcasts to leave a review, or drop us a note on social media and let us know what you want to hear more of. Hi, Kiana, and welcome to Pathways. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. So how are you doing today? I'm good, a bit tired, but I'm good nonetheless. Yeah, yeah, good to hear. I know things can get busy. But regardless, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Sure, thank you for having me. So tell me, what is your dream job? If you didn't have to think about money or getting education or anything like that, and I have a feeling I know what it might be, but... <laughs> well, flying a plane, being a pilot, mm-hmm. you know, probably not commercial, but just like the point of flying a plane and at least making some sort of income from it. So it could be flight instructor or, you know, private pilot or commercial, whatever it is, just flying a plane. And then, well, the job I'm doing now, air traffic control. That was one of the two dream jobs because, you know, I'm a person that's like, um, 
I would ask questions. So, and like how I started, I'm like, how do a pilot know where to go? Like, who instruct them? And then now being an edge of control, I'm like, how do a pilot understand me? Like, you know, so it's like, you want to be both on both sides, just yeah. to have better understanding and appreciation. So technically, both of them dream jobs, currently doing one, but yeah. still waiting to get to the next one. So you have your dream job. Not many people can say that. So good. Yeah. <laughs> First job, only job, dream job. Nice. Okay. So let's get into it. Um, let's introduce you to the listeners a little bit. So where exactly in Grenada are you from? I'm from Archibald Avenue, okay. St. George. Mm-hmm. And I would stress on that all the time because <laughs> it's literally on the boundary of the town. Mm-hmm. So it's just a street in the town, but in the parish of St. George. Okay. So I always like to stress and you know, you know the difference <laughs> yes. is Archibald Avenue a street in yeah. the town, St. George's. Okay. There, I think there's an, a specific name for the area. Mm-hmm. I'm not too sure exactly what it is, but I on I think more under newer maps they produce of the islands, you would mm-hmm. see it, you would see it. And the last one I saw was Hyde Park. I for the area yes <laughs> I never knew that <laughs> yeah okay interesting cool all right so from Hyde Park in St. George's <laughs> Grenada <laughs> all right and what were your student years like growing up in primary and secondary school what kind of student were you primary school I think I was generally a quiet student I I was always top of the class. So my mom was a teacher in the school I attended. So I don't think that had any advantage to me being top of the class. Okay. Like I never used to bother with her being in a school unless it was lunchtime. That's <laughs> where I would I would go to eat my lunch by her, but break time. Other than that, I, I never used to really bother with her. So I was generally a quiet student. Um I know grade two, I spent that year at a different school that was after Ivan. Mm. So, you know, new environments, it, I, it was closer to home, but it's like, I still didn't really know anybody, so it was way quieter than mm. usual. Yeah. Then, back to my old school after that, I was prefect from grade three right up to grade six. And then if you know the St. George's Anglican School is junior and senior school. So from the junior school, you basically graduate to the senior school and that's the end of grade four into grade five so grade four I was head girl of the junior school grade five prefect and grade six head girl so it's like you know that's I don't want to say elite part of the school but you know just that high achiever (laughs) yeah I still don't like to say high achiever because I never really opened a book to sit for exams okay never ever but I see. I, I think I would take that high achiever part of it. <laughs> then I, I moved on to the St. Joseph's Convent St. George. Mm-hmm. And uh, just yesterday, I was like, I could do over my secondary school life. Probably not for the classes. 
<laughs> probably not for the classes like sitting on a class and learn I can't take that again but mm-hmm. you know just there are some moments in a classroom with the students and the teachers you remember you had fun yeah and then you know convents you know convents all about their match pass during sports time oh yeah so I enjoyed that a bit although I never really used to match because I was an athlete so ah okay You'd watch me now and you'd never believe that I used to run. Yes, I used to run. They found me in heats in Form 1. And they're like, oh, you look like Interval Prospect. I'm like, no, I just got <laughs> into the school. Let me enjoy my Interval. And then after that, you can take me. But um, I didn't really like competition. Mm-hmm. I would do it for the fun. But I didn't really, I don't think I took athletics as serious as I should have and a lot of people told me I had like you know broad talents because after the summer break you know when you're starting back they would do like a time check so this is your first time for the season let's see how you improve Mm -hmm. and I think it was after form two no form two year when I started for I was 12 or I was younger than the usual group in secondary school. So I think I was 11, 12 there about. And my time in 100 meters was 12 seconds, 12.7 seconds. No training, nothing, just fresh off a summer break and all of that. And they tried to push me so hard to, you know, improve. And yeah, and it, it wasn't my style. But so what's average time for... <laughs> 100 meters. I'm not <laughs> Probably 12, 9. Okay. Oh. Average because 12, 7 and then between that because I wasn't really like 100 meters, 100, 200 meters. I can't remember my 200 meters time, but um, that was my favorite one of the two. Mm-hmm. And then I did a lot of long jump. Can't remember my furthest distance, but and when one of the um, secondary school events, I came fourth in the long jump. So that was the best for me. But yeah. other than that, yeah. cross country, I was doing my cross country. You know, I always got in points for my house. And then later on down in the school year, I became sports captain. Apart from athletics, I did um, football, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Mm-hmm. I loved, I loved, I loved football. And... Mm-hmm. I did a few training with the national team, but it's like the personalities of the people just weren't matching mine. So it's like mm. I couldn't do it for long with them. But I did a lot of sports. Some of the sports. Yeah, even in primary school, I did tennis, I did um, swimming, um, right. something else. I did. The only sport I know I can say that I did not do was netball. And I'm not going to do, I don't like, I don't know why I don't like netball. Really? I, it's like, because, you know, once you have the ball, can't you just, look, I think it's like one step or something like that. And mm-hmm. I like to move. I like to move. Once I have the ball, just, just keep moving. Cricket is my thing, you know? You just bowl the ball. Yeah. Once you hit the ball, you run. You know, once I get to move, I'm good. But netball wasn't my thing. But I did a lot of sports and then I moved on to, actually, after I graduated from five, I went to Convent Commercial. Okay. And that helped a lot. 
And I mean, if I could encourage like almost everybody mm -hmm. to take up commercial, I would do it because, you know, it prepares you for the world of work. And then even if you don't get the grades you want to get in CSEC, Mm -hmm. doing the convent commercial program with um like you do job training you do all those courses like shorthand typing and doing letters business letters business finance business accounts all of that it prepares you for the world of work so technically you don't must go to um time cc once you have your five csec as mm -hmm. they ask for you can get a job probably as a secretary, you know, and then later on in life, you can do whatever it is to get a higher position. Okay. But it's it's a good way for people to start. And my job training was at the airports. It's like, okay. it was my calling. So <laughs> I job trained at the airports. Okay. Well, we'll get into that in a minute. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay. I went on to Tom CC. Mm -hmm. I did physics, pure mathematics, and geography. In the three of them, geography was my favorite class. I love geography so much. I don't know if it's because it was a teacher, like the way he taught and how he interacted with us. You know, it's like you would want to learn. You'd be so happy to go to class because you know the teacher is coming, and you know, it's like whenever he he never came, the class was disappointed. <laughs> but one thing we used to do, we used to sit there and work together. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. So it's really interesting to hear about kind of your whole student story, because like we were talking about before I hit record, um, the last interaction me and you really had was back in primary school days with Kids in Action. Yeah. Um, for those listening who don't know, Kids in Action was like a, a youth group that used to travel and do interviews and kind of journalistic in a way. It yeah, like it prepares you know. for like, it prepared you for um, public speaking and, you know, probably stuff like this. Yeah. You know, and then TV interviews, radio interviews. And at a very young age. To read on a whole, like, you know, your whole reading style changed after that, mm -hmm. that, you know, being in kids in action. I'd like to see come back somewhere or the other just I for I keep looking for you know videos or something online I can't find them <laughs> <See you. laughs> but anyways um so in all of this in secondary school heavy on the sports but still kind of naturally gifted in academics it sounds like yeah um what did what did your where did your interest lie in terms of subjects in secondary school how did you decide what to do for a CXE? Um, I don't remember, you know, but all I know geography had to be one subject. I like the okay. sciences somehow, but I didn't really like biology. Hmm. Same. But <laughs> I made sure to do all my sciences. Mm -hmm. And um, math and I had a hard time throughout secondary school. Somehow, opening the results for CXC, there was a one. Ah. <laughs> there was a one. I was surprised. Was mm -hmm. I really surprised? I don't remember, but I think I was surprised with that one. Because 
<laughs> I know like during the exam it was a really good exam and I knew that I had a capability to do good in that okay. but um the geography I was kind of disappointed with my geography grade a three but I guess that's what I worked for and it was a kind of difficult exam that year so mm-hmm. but I just chose based on what I liked I don't think at the time career was really there although it was like you know I know I want to do something with aviation and the sky or whatever it is because I also like astronomy so I knew I wanted to get somewhere there Mm -hmm. but choosing subjects was just based on what I like to do not even if I had a bad grade I would try my best to get a good grade and make sure that I'm able to choose that subject Okay. So, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So just kind of going with what you like. And then yeah. when you got into TAMCC, you said you really wanted to do geography. And that was after yeah. your job training at the airport. Yeah. So first of all, how did you end up at the airport for job training? Was it your choice or were you placed there? Placement. It was okay. placement. Yeah. I probably did ask or they did ask us like what were our interests mm-hmm. so you know when you share your interests they try to place you based on your interests and how you perform okay. and like if it would bring out the best in your job training for your grade okay yeah. so it sounds like your experience there kind of influenced what you went on to do afterwards and maybe not really I knew like air traffic control and so was there but it's like I was more in the administrative part of it so it's like okay. I really got to visit the tower I probably did visit the tower once but it's like mm. Mm. at the time I was I was just thinking about school and job training there but you know making sure that I like during the day I see a plane land or something like that I just okay. had to see a plane land <laughs> Of course, you can't be on the airport and not even see the planes. Exactly. Okay, so then at what point did you start thinking career and what am I going to do in my future? I think during time CC. Okay. I think it had to be somewhere along during time CC. Thereabouts. Um, if you remember, what was that realization like? Yeah, all I know, like during secondary school and during my, I'm like reading through my school books and stuff like that. There were a lot of um things that led to aviation. I remember my IT textbook specifically had a control tower in it. My physics textbook cover page was um a flight deck and the two pilots there. So it's like all of these things were just there, you know. But I probably brushed it off, but it was like. You know, scrolling through and you see, but you're just you're just watching it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think um, correct between convent and Tan and Tam CC, I did an internship for a month on the airport in the Met office. Because I also like the weather and stuff like that, so I did my internship at the Met office and, like, during that internship one day. I got to do a tour of the control tower and then that was it. That was that was it. That was just like, okay, yeah, that was the confirmation I needed just with through that tour. Huh. Like, yeah. Good. Okay. Cool. So you said that was between convent and Tam Yeah. 
So after your job training? After job training. So like when I finished Convent Commercial mm-hmm. and then just before I started TAMCC, yeah, that summer break. And did you seek out that internship or did you even end up in the Met Office? Um, I don't remember. <laughs> did I? I don't remember what it was. I Probably I did seek out the internship or... Since I think for other persons, they got called back for the summer internships as well after they did the job training. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but do you remember exactly what it was? <laughs> okay, fair enough. So now that you got into the Met Office and you had a bit of experience, you saw the control tower and you decided this is where you needed to be. <laughs> what was the next step for you? So you went to Tam CC got yeah. your degree yeah um I can remember you know after you take your pictures from graduation I posted on Instagram my caption for one of my pictures was um here's to your future air traffic control and pilots that was my caption not knowing that I would actually be there but it was that. you know manifested I mm. should say and as I mentioned earlier, um, my first job, my only job, my dream job. Oh, that's a nice slogan. Eh? <laughs> that's a nice slogan I should do. But yeah, um, after time, CC, my only interview, I think it wasn't my only application, but I probably sent out like three applications. But, you know, some places you have to resend, even if you did an internship, you have to resend for an available position. Mm-hmm. And I did my interview and then I started working at the airport exactly four years ago today. Today. November 13th. <laughs> I planned this so, perfectly. This was the goal. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, so exactly four years ago I started, but I was in the AIS office, which is the Aeronautical Information Service office. Okay. And that's... um. That's, I would say, the sub-office of the Air Traffic Services Department, but it more deals with the collection of fees from private pilots and, um, you know, filing the flight plans. That's where, that's how the pilots know, like, the routing they would take, you know, the amount of time they would take, um, all those necessary information for air traffic controllers to use to help with pilots. So I worked there for, like, eight months. Mm-hmm. And then there was a vacancy for air traffic controllers where I had to apply again, did an interview, and then I was successful. Went off to Trinidad for seven months. Okay. Yeah, seven months. Seven months to okay. do the course on airdrome and approach control. Mm-hmm. It was a diploma for seven months. and yeah, it was kind of close, but yeah, and then you yeah. had it. <laughs> yeah, well, I had to go through some one month of classroom when I got back, and then six months of on the job training with a supervisor. So I was assigned to a supervisor for on the job training, mm-hmm. and then I was checked out to work independently. Got it. Okay. So 
tell us about this. What exactly does an air traffic controller do? What is your day-to-day job? Right. So an air traffic controller is not someone who stands on the ramp with a glowing <laughs> stick in the hand calling in an aircraft. You sound like you That's get that a lot. <laughs> I always get that. So we do not do that. However, we sit in a control tower. Okay. And we talk to the aircraft. Ah. We're like their guardians in the sky because we all know that a pilot cannot see what's behind his aircraft. So they can only see what's directly in front of them and to the side of them. So we know we would have, you know, our radar map chats or whatever it is of the different airspaces and the routes that the pilots would take. Mm-hmm. And as I said, the AIS office would file those flight plans. The pilots would write them up. The AIS officer would put them into the system. And then we know we would we could proofread them. We can check them over and stuff like that. And then try to give pilots the shortest way to destinations. But if there's no way of getting the shortest way, mm-hmm. you have to follow the necessary routes that are in the sky. So for us, the sky is just, you know, blue and white with clothes. Well, and I would say us as, you know, regular people, but the air traffic controllers are roads in the sky. Because, you know, um, we have an equipment called the VOR, and the VOR would give off the radials, and the radials are like, let's say the VOR is like a compass. Uh-huh. So it starts from 360 to 359, zero to 360, uh-huh. just like the compass. So you have north, south, east, and west. And, you know, you have 80 degrees, we would call it radial 080. And then we sometimes put an aircraft on a radial to or from an airport and they would usually fly that route or like the roads in the sky that were prescribed by the necessary authorities. So basically guide them through the sky. Well, I would say for us here, because we do combined aerodrome, which is the airport facility, well, the airport environment itself and approach, which is a wider area. So like 30 miles out, it's 30 miles out to the west, south and 39 to the north and 81 miles to the east. That's our that's our airspace and that's what we have control of. And okay. it's up to 13,500 feet. So anything from the ground to that, we uh-huh. have control of that. So we guide them through, we guide them to land, we guide them to take off and to park, you know, sometimes any little thing, we're always there for them so okay it's a lot of talking sometimes but yeah so you mentioned um the like the roads in the sky and creating the shortest path for them so let's say a plane is leaving Grenada and going to New York um I'm guessing there's like a standard direction and path that they take but do you like during the course of their flight are you thinking of alternate paths for them or is that prepared in advance it's based on what they file. They want to, they, they, whatever routine they file, the pilots mm-hmm. or the company, mm-hmm. we would try to, you know, especially around the closest point because um, I think, I can't remember the distance, but um, there is only a certain amount of airspace that we have control of. 
then the rest is handed over to Trinidad and they have control of a wider airspace. And then from Trinidad, an aircraft is handed over to Puerto Rico. And then from Puerto Rico, Miami, probably for a short while, and then the rest of it is New York airspace. So sometimes they would find points that would take them here and there, Mm -hmm. but you would try to give them the most direct routes. That's why I say try to give them the shortest way, but the the most direct routes to their destination. Okay. So for you here, you're basically just escorting them in and out of our airspace. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Cool. Um, Okay. So how much, um, you you mentioned like a lot of talking and interaction with the pilots and so is that, I guess like, is it, is it a structured type of conversation where you're just like, you know, giving them coordinates or giving them directions or are you literally just having conversations with these pets like hey how was your day (laughs) it's not like a normal conversation like we're having like we have our phraseology that we would use Mm -hmm. which is a standard phraseology used throughout the world so english is the main language that's used in aviation so even if you're living in china Mm -hmm. a traffic controller is supposed to be using english because you don't know if it's an english pilot that's flying into your airspace that day Uh so english is a standard language throughout the world for aviation and then we have a phraseology because we don't always deal with one aircraft at a time we deal with several aircrafts on a aircraft on a frequency Mm -hmm. and you have to one transmission to an aircraft has to be short and concise Mm -hmm. right so it's it's you're trying to give them enough information but in the briefest transmission as possible Right. So they said we have our phraseology. So it's totally well, some of it is totally off my head, but like Roger is okay. Mm-hmm. Um affirmative or affirm is yes. Yes, we'd um we say correct for correct, negative for no, and sometimes incorrect. And if you want to repeat something and say I say again. So okay. you know, we have like just certain words or phrases that we would use and they know exactly what it means. And yeah. Yeah, because I imagine being clear is very important when someone is, yeah. you know, taking hundreds of people in, through the sky. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So I heard somewhere, I think I read somewhere, that your favorite aircraft is the, the Boeing 777. Is that right? Yes. Okay. What is it about like that particular model? Like, what do you even look for in a plane? <laughs> is it like picking out your favorite car? Technically, it's, you know, you, you look at especially the engines and how they sound. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at the wings, like just the, the shape of the aircraft and all of that, you know. It's just pretty. As <laughs> <laughs> you can't explain it, you know, you can't really explain it, but... um. Lately, there has been some competition with um, the Boeing 787 and the Airbus 350. Okay. Because those two, they kind of look alike, right? Like, the, you have to look carefully to, to spot the differences. And then, like, mm-hmm. a 787, the wing would have, like, a little flex, a little curve in it. So it kind of looks, like, you know, a little pretty and stuff <laughs> like that. 
but the wingtip now is almost flat. Okay. And in an A350, the wingtip has like a little curve in it. So sometimes the first thing you look at is the wingtip, mm -hmm. or the next thing I would look at is the windshield, the front mm -hmm. of the aircraft. The 787 has like a rounder front mm -hmm. of the aircraft, but the A350, no, their windshield has like kind of like a glasses look, kind of like, but it's like straight across. And then when it reaches the end of the glass, there is like a curved down. Mm -hmm. And some airlines have like a black thing around them. So they kind of have like that Batman vibes, oh. you know? <laughs> yes, right. The dog is kind of like, so nice. yeah. You know, you just look at, you know, certain things on them to know the difference in the aircraft type. And yeah, yeah, sometimes you look at how, in, how close the engine is to the ground to know and the shape of the engine to know like the different type of engines the different types of aircraft and all of that nice i wish the people who are listening could see your face as you're describing the planes <laughs> i know you're so in love with it <laughs> i know i mean if it was a, a video a video um presentation or something like that i would have showed them because i have the aircraft model of this triple oh. seven the 787 and the a350 i could have just you know Give a demonstration. You need to send me exactly. pictures of those so I can add it into the sure, sure. into this post, please. <laughs> okay. Um. So, I'm gonna take a little bit of a left turn here, um, because you're a little bit um dabbling in everything, right? So yeah, you recently wrote and published a children's book about yes. getting girls into aviation, right? <laughs> Adventures of how do you say? It? Is it Shola? Zola and Sage. Adventures of Zola and Sage, Women in Aviation. And honestly, that's kind of what got our attention to even ask you on the podcast, because <laughs> what you're doing for aviation is like exactly what Canadian STEAM is trying to do to expose young students to different non-traditional careers, right? Yeah. Um, but I'm not going to speak for you. So what was your inspiration and your goal for the book? All right, so... I was scrolling through Twitter last summer. Mm -hmm. You know, that was the peak of the pandemic. Uh -huh. and stuff like that. Travel has been started back. A lot of pilots were laid off. And, you know, a lot of pilots are sharing how they love aviation, they miss flying and stuff like that. And then I was scrolling through Twitter one day and then there was this girl from somewhere in America. You know, America, Americans don't really travel. They fly, but they just drive mm -hmm. through from state to state. <laughs> and she was like, she never seen a female pilot. So I'm like, in 2020, you never seen a female pilot. Like, <laughs> make it make sense. Like, yeah. how? how? Because it's possible. You have Instagram, you have Facebook, Google itself. You can type in on Google, female pilot. And you will see pictures of female pilots. So like, how is it possible that you, you haven't seen a female pilot? Yeah. So I made a joke saying that I would write a book on it. But mm -hmm. I let that slide. And then few days later a friend of mine she um recently finished flight school she she was bahamian she's bahamian she recently finished flight school and um you know when she started working she was having a hard time dealing with the guys at her company mm. and then i wasn't too happy about that i was like you know what we need to i need to do something or you know get some attention out of that you know 
women can actually do this. It's not only a men's job and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think by the end of the day, I just finished writing the book. <laughs> Started and finished writing the book. Wow. As a joke. As a joke. <laughs> but I sent it to a friend of mine, Camille John, to go through it. And, and then I became serious about it. Mm-hmm. I went to find an illustrator. She's from Karakunarika, Alexis. Okay. And I think by the end of December last year, everything was, you know, put together for a book. Quick. To uh-huh. be there. But then I stopped. I was like, oh, I don't have time right now. And then by the end of February, March this year, that's when everything came into wow. play, into happening. And so, like, the long-term goal for the book is um, not only to inspire young girls to do the non-traditional jobs, like, you know, pilot, air traffic controller, engineer especially, um, to also let boys know that the women can do it too. It's not only a male job. And not to create divisions between male and female in the job, like, as you know, the SDGs 2020, 2030, sorry, gender equality is one of the um, goals. Mm-hmm. So it's like trying to achieve that in aviation, you know, gender equality, like a woman and a man in the flight deck for a flight or, you know, have a mixed or a balanced crew and equal pay. I would like to see that because, you know, we do the same job. We're just different by yeah. our body, our physical, you know, being. Right. So that that's a goal. And um, also for the boys to, like, just, you can be what you want to be as well. You know? Right. Not, yeah. I mean, it was, the book was written focusing on women, but there were some boys who wanted to be pilots and they're like, oh, mommy, I don't want to, I'm not pilot, sorry, but police officers are like, oh, mommy, I don't want to be a police again. I want to be a pilot. So yeah. you know, just to get them to know that there are different jobs you can explore rather than the most commonly talked about doctor or accountant, police or nurse, you know, mm-hmm. explore different careers out there. I love that. Yeah. I love it. And I actually bought one of your books recently for my niece. Oh. She can't read it herself yet. She's still three. <laughs> but That's she was okay. really excited she to would get give it. You a story. She would give you a story from the pictures. She will. That's what, that's what the aim was for. Because people ask me if I'm like, it's three plus. Mm-hmm. Or if a two-year-old can speak enough, they can give you a story from the pictures. And when they get old enough, you can read it to them as well, but when they get old enough, they can read it for themselves once the book lasts. Because I really tried to get it on hard, cop- um, hard cover, but... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I couldn't get it on hard cover, but I would try to get the other parts of the book in hard cover. Yeah, so... For the ones. I hear there's but... a sequel coming up. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Good, I'm excited for you, so best of <laughs> luck. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay, so one more thing I want to pull into the mix here, because you mentioned a little bit about the, the SDGs being the Sustainable Development Goals for the UN. Yeah. And I know that you're really active in like climate change and youth in climate change. Yeah. Do you see any link between aviation and climate change? 
Yes, actually, because that's one of the things I wanted to head into, but I haven't seen a way like to get into that. However, I have a friend mm-hmm. in the United Kingdom who he he is really focusing on that. He's in his PhD, and that's his main focus. He's from St. Kitts, Dennis McCall. And for aviation and I would say sustainable development or like the environment and so on, mm-hmm. it's like generally fuel consumption and air pollution. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Pollution on a whole, because you know, when you travel, you get snacks and stuff like that. So you try to get biodegradable packaging for your snacks and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I know there's a there's an airline that had a sustainable flight recently. Um, Etihad, they have an yeah. aircraft, which is this Boeing 77. They have a 77 aircraft and it's a kind of greenish, it's painted in a greenish light, right? Mm-hmm. But the name of that aircraft is Greenliner and that was their first sustainable flights in okay. the amount of sustainable flights they would have. So I haven't read up the full details on like what it entails, but I know they would try to reduce the amounts of fuel or gas or pollutants emitted into the atmosphere during a flight, try to have um, shorter and sustainable flights, you know, the packaging and stuff, use mm-hmm. biodegradable items and um, reusable items throughout their flight. I mean, it's hard to use reusable items now because of the COVID situation, but, you know, like if they give out a pouch like a travel pouch it would be environmental friendly so mm-hmm. that's the way some airlines are trying to go on the 8th that was the first flight after how much days from the uk to the us that's the reopening of the travel bubble mm-hmm. and um british airways used 30 percent i think it was sustainable fuel and i know it was used with um if there was a mixture and I think it was cooking oil and something else used to fuel the aircraft. So, yeah, (laughs) they're trying to build aircraft now to have shorter flying times Mm -hmm. and use less fuel, but environmentally friendly. They're Mm -hmm. trying to go about the environmentally friendly way on things. That's what they're trying to do. A lot of it is still in the works, but yeah, as time progresses, you will see much more on it. Okay, that's cool. As you mentioned, that it reminds me of this exhibit I saw recently at a I was at a science museum um, in Chicago, and uh-huh. it talked about like combining different types of fuel to see which mm-hmm. one would propel like a rocket or a plane further yeah. so there was like cooking oil and hydrogen and then there was like regular gas and diesel and yeah it's amazing that these yeah. non-traditional things can actually be used sustainably you know yeah but okay anyhow so at this point um we're doing something a little bit new with pathways and we're inviting students current students to join the conversation and ask the guests their questions themselves so yeah we have Abigail Alfred on the call, and I'll ask her to come on and introduce herself. Okay, well, my name is Abigail Alfred. I'm 16 years, 
I am currently going to TAMCC. I'm majoring in physics, maths, and geography. Your interests, what you want to get into? Piloting. I want to become a pilot. There we go. So I know you were listening to most of, if not the whole conversation with Kiana, and you have a few questions for her, so you can go ahead and ask those. What type of pilot do you want? Okay, so generally the aim is to become a commercial pilot. However, if that doesn't work out, a private pilot would work for me. However, it's just that once I get to fly a plane, then that's it for me, but Commercial pilot is where it is for me for now. Why do you want to become a pilot? Well, it's just to, I guess, complete the, well, not really complete, but on my end, complete the aviation world for me because, you know, I'm doing air traffic control now. So it's like, I want to know what's on the other side of the radio, like what they do, like how they understand what I am saying, what I am telling them. So generally, you know, being in the sky is fun. Cloud surfing is fun. And I would like to do more of that for a living rather than just traveling, but, you know, bring people here and there safely. And, you know, just fly a plane. <laughs> so how did you know you want to become a pilot? I don't recall, you know, I think I was, I was younger, but it, Probably just, you know, from all the traveling and, you know, it just seeing the pilots walk up to the flight deck, you know, it was amazing. But I think it was in 2013, I was going to Barbados to renew my visa and the pilot, the first officer for that flight was a female pilot. She was pretty young. She flew on the yacht and well, I guess at the time she was pretty young, but you know, just hearing a female fly your plane, you know, that's when you can think about it. Because probably in my earlier flights, you know, there was a lady there. But at the time, I was like 15 years. So it's like I have more knowledge and more understanding. So it's like, oh, a lady's flying my plane. That's in school. And, you know, it's like I can actually do that too. So it added a push, you know, to fly. But it kind of died down then, but when I started working as an air traffic controller, it's like the urge came, became stronger and stronger to know, to you know, like go ahead and fly a plane. So I guess it was between that secondary school time and that working period where I figured that I want to fly a plane. So well, did you, my last question, did you have um, a passion for it? Well, ever since it was like every morning when a plane flies over, we run outside to see the plane fly over. And you know, all the traveling, you see the different types of aircraft, the different pilots and all the different sizes of the aircraft, you know, it blows your mind and then I have a love for astronomy as well. So anything, so it's generally it's anything with the sky. 
I knew I belonged somewhere in the sky. It doesn't matter what it is, but I just knew that I belong somewhere in the sky. And whatever it is I do that relates to the sky would actually make me comfortable. But as I said earlier on, the long-term goal is to become a pilot. But once I knew, like, growing up, anything with the sky, I just knew it was for me. So, yeah. Okay. And how did your family um, felt when you told them that you wanted to be a pilot? I don't recall, you know. I don't think, probably my mom was a bit, you know, sketchy on like the whole aviation thing. My dad was pretty okay with it. But my little brother also wants to do the same thing. So it's like, he was like, go for it. Two of us can do it. So why not? And then, yeah, but. I don't think they really had an issue with it. Probably maybe the flying part is like, leave that for my brother and not for me, but I don't think they really had an issue with it. I had um, this specific question, like if you had any setbacks from going, like becoming one? Any setbacks from becoming what I want to be? Yeah. What would it be? Okay, well. Well, like in terms of money-wise or anything. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was about to get to. <laughs> You know, aviation is a very expensive view. So, like, for now, to get into piloting, one of the setbacks is finances to get into flight school. Because a year of flight school could be approximately 50,000 US dollars for one year. Sometimes it's like four years and stuff like that. So, you have to save a lot. You have to find ways to, you know, um, make money to save. I mean, having a job would be good. But um, financially, yeah. But if you want to do it, don't let that you know keep you back. You can't let finances keep you back. Just go for it, and once you achieve it, then you would think about repaying your finances and stuff like that. Just make yourself happy before making the bank happy. That's what I would tell you. Make yourself happy before yes. making the bank. <laughs> Good advice. But then when I talked to my sister, she told me that um, like you have affordable schools up there, even though like it, it is expensive and stuff, but like knowing that, okay, that you want to become a pilot and going for it is a good thing because like when you actually become one, you can start like paying back for like the exactly. stuff that you, you borrowed or anything so. So yeah. that, that encouraged me because, you know, it made me much more excited and everything. Because, like, just the other day I was speaking to someone who went in Canada right now. He's studying to, be a, to become a pilot. We went to the same church and everything. And he told me, like, the experience is such amazing. I'm thinking because it's like an experience like no other. Even though it's expensive and anything, it's like yeah. something that you know you should actually go for if you want to become one. That's why I said make yourself happy before making a bank. <laughs> honestly, honestly, if that's what you want to do, go for it because Canada is a choice of mine for um, flight school. However, the only issue there is the weather because no, it's snowing. So you would have like from November to let's say March off, and that's cutting a lot of time. Whereas in Miami, you could have gotten a lot of that done. While I'm also searching for myself, 
because I have a lot of friends out there, I have a lot of pilot friends that encourage me and I can put you onto some female pilots who are very motivating and they can give you the encouragement you need. And then you should be good to go from there. But right about now, girl, if you want to get into this, don't worry about the finances because you must get there. I know it's it's a burden, right? You need something to start, but there, I know a lot of pilots that only start with $550 in their pocket and they make it change right now. They repaid everything they had to repay and they're flying. So always think about making yourself happy before making the bank happy girl okay yes <laughs> yes yes i i i know how it is i know how it is um abigail thank you so much and then for kiana where first of all where do you see yourself in the next three to five years professionally aviation, aviation but it doesn't matter <laughs> where in aviation even if it's not flying a plane not being a control tower uh-huh. it's something in aviation okay something but i know for sure I don't want to be sitting in an office behind a computer. Mm-hmm. But if I have that job, I must be doing something on the field mm. outside of my office. So I come to work at clock in for nine o'clock. I do whatever it is I need to do on a computer. And then I have like from 11 o'clock to two o'clock doing something on the field outside in the engineering room or where it is. That's how I see myself. I show Abigail with the same sentiments. Even yeah. if it's not being up in the sky physically, it's something to do with this sky. She said the sky is the limit, but let me tell you something, right? The sky is the limit. It's not only up there, but the control tower is part of the sky because you're dealing with aviation. Being an engineer on a girl is part of the sky because you're dealing with aviation. Working on an airport in a, as a manager or a duty manager or whatever it is, it's still part of the sky because you're dealing with aviation. So if anything with aviation, avionics, um, space or whatever it is, if you have a job in that, you're in the sky. Just not physically there, but you are in the sky. Mm-hmm. There you go. So with that, what is a good piece of advice that you would share with someone in Abigail's position or a younger student coming up? Well, as I just said, anything you're doing in aviation, mm-hmm. if it's on the ground or in the sky, the sky is the limit, but whatever you're doing in aviation is part of the sky. So you can be sitting in your room, you're doing a painting, aviation, you like aviation, you're in the sky. Because you would think of yourself being in a plane mm-hmm. while you're doing that. So the sky is the limits. Always make, just remember to make yourself happy. You can make it anybody else happy. Because at the end of the day, it's for you and it's not for anybody else. It's not for the bank. The bank is collecting money. It <laughs> is for you and your happiness and your mental mental health. And don't give up. There are people Amen. learning to fly at age 60. You can do it as long as you yes. want. Whenever you want, just take your time. And what's for you will be for you. All right. You heard it, people. Stick with it. And go buy a book from Kiana. Yes. Adventures of Zola and Sage. Women in Aviation, available on Amazon. <laughs> Kiana, thank you so much for your time. We had a really good conversation. And Abigail, thank you for joining too. Thank you, Abigail, for joining. And to the listeners, thank you for joining us on today's Pathway. 